All right, good morning. Um, I'm going to start out this morning by building a fort with you guys. Did you guys, how many of y'all built a fort when you were kids? Do you remember doing, okay, good. Uh, my mom isn't here this morning. If she was, she would help me build my fort because she was the best fort maker uh, when I was a little kid. And uh, I remember she would put me to bed and I would beg her, I'm going to put it up high so y'all can see it. I would beg her to make me a fort um, and I loved having a fort. Um, and I don't know why it was, uh, but I had my little stuffed animals, and I'd put them all in there. And um, I, I don't know. I've just always loved that. And uh, and uh, I, I still sort of like camping. It's, it's an odd thing. I've done a lot of camping. So I'm curious, while I build my fort, how many of you are campers that you like to camp? We're in Colorado, so I'm expecting higher numbers. How many of you do like to camp? How many of you absolutely hate camping? And I mean tent camping, not your other stuff. So how many of y'all hate camping? Okay. Honey, what did, what did you do? What did you say? Okay. <laughs> she, she hates camping. Um, but uh, it is nicer up here. We get colder weather and stuff like that. But Paul's a tent maker in 2 Corinthians uh, he is bringing out these illustrations. They're super, super powerful. And, and I'm going to try to bring several of them together uh, towards the end of this lesson. But this one is one of my favorites. Um, I even got my flashlight over here. Um, this one's one of my favorites. He's going to start out, and I'm in 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm super sorry that I got the, uh, the slides wrong last week. I was actually in chapter 4 last week, and all the slides said chapter 3. But um, I want to start reading here in just verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan, we're burdened. Because we don't know, now, we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I love that last thing he said, that what is mortal will eventually be swallowed up by life. Something altogether different. And he's talking, and I need you to remember this throughout this whole illustration that we're doing with my tent up here. This is the blanket that my wife gave me when we were dating. It's like my most prized possession. Um, I, I want you to keep in mind that this tent represents this. It represents my body. In this text, the tabernacle here is my very body. And he says this, that this is getting old. It's wearing out. And this is what camping is. Camping is hard grounds. Except for some of you have your blow-up mattresses, right? Camping is hard ground. It's cold. Um, I associate camping with crusty socks, horrible breath, Waking up, smelling people's feet, smelling people's shoes, smelling people. The, 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 the tent reeks. And most of my camping has been with teens up in the mountains, okay? <laughs> I have been in a three-man tent with eight people before. <laughs> Nasty, crowded. You just can't. One time, Jason, we shared a, a tent with 
a man that was twice both of our sizes, and uh, Giuseppe, right? Were you in that one? Okay, you weren't in that one. There were four of us, I remember, just packed in this tiny tent. And I hate it. And I always, if you ever go camping with me, I sleep with my mouth on the door so I can breathe outside air. I always do that when I'm camping. But I hate tents. And I, 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 I love being outdoors, but I really hate the whole camping experience. And I, I think a lot of it's rooted in when I was a kid. My parents took me camping actually in Colorado quite a bit. And I remember one time my dad got so mad when we were done with the week. With all the hail, all the junk that we were having to deal with, a leaking tent that he finally just said, we're out. He got out, crushed the tent, threw it in a dumpster, and we went to a hotel. And I, yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of what I associate camping with to this day. But I love it that he brings this illustration to life while I'm in this tent, I'm groaning. And, and I love it. Romans 8 really builds on this. And we talked about it some this last week at the Pepperdine Lectures. Talking about this groaning that's inside of me. It's a hunger. It's something that, and deep inside of me, that says, I was made for something so much more than this. And it's a gut. It's this feeling you have inside of you that I know that there's more to life than this. You ever have one of those itches where it's somewhere and you have no clue where to scratch? It's one of those things where you're just like, I know there's something, there's a longing inside of me, and it's for something beyond this. And Paul just builds on this and builds on this in this text. But he goes on and he says this. I'm going to come back to this swallowed up by life. How about this verse, though? Now it is God who made us for this very purpose. He just said this. The entire purpose for your creation, all of us, has not yet been realized. Whatever your gifts are, whatever you've given your life to, whatever your profession is, no matter how talented you are, the text just said this, what you were created for has not yet come. That this life, what I'm doing right here and now in the flesh, is an interim. But what I was designed for was something so much more eternal than this. And God is in the process of redeeming me and bringing me back. And I wasn't created to live in a tent. This is what he says. I'm going to go back to the previous verse. While I'm in this tent, I'm groaning and I'm burdened because I don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed in my heavenly dwelling. That's what I was created for, my heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Being swallowed up by life is what I was created for. Um, And then he says this. And he's given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Now I want to talk about my tent. I'm going to talk about this tabernacle here here in just a second. And what I believe he's doing in uh, in, in this text. But he's given us his spirit as a deposit. He says this in 2 Corinthians 1.22. He says it in Ephesians 1.14. He says it again in Romans 8.23. So, so when you get to this verse where he talks about this idea of the, de- the deposit or the down payment, you will, a lot of people associate this with an ancient word for what would be like a, um, an engagement ring. 
I'm giving this, this to you as this is a promise. This is what's ahead. This is just the first, uh, this is just the first fruits of it is what Romans says. This is the idea of what is ahead. Um, I don't want to think about this tabernacle. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament and then just kind of apply it to what I think he's doing here. Um, first, in Exodus 33, 9, Moses goes to the tent of meeting with the Lord. And there's a tent and all Israel would stand at the doors of their tents when Moses would approach the tent of meeting with God. Now, that's something that as Christians living now, we're like, well, I, I get that. I know that. Meeting with God, sort of like going to church. Back then, when you said something like that, it was, it was unheard of. They came out of Egypt, and they associated gods with Anubis and Ra, with Set, with Nut. Nut's the weird god that overarches everything. They would, uh, they would, they would associate these gods with this great pantheon, but they were untouchable. They were distant. They were foreign. The idea that a god would come and meet with man is ridiculous. And Moses would come and meet with God, and it says he would speak to him face to face. And he would stand in the very presence of God. And then, just ten chapters later, in Exodus 40, seven chapters later, it says this, Moses had just pleaded with God, and he's, this is what's happening. If you don't go with us, don't send us forth from here. Don't let me live. Don't let us live as a people outside of your presence. I want to live with you. And God says, I can't go with you. I'll destroy you along the way because you're a stiff-necked people. And he says, well, then who are we? We're dead if I don't have your presence in my life. And God finally says, yes. And the book of Leviticus, regardless of how boring you might think that book is and is, maybe. Leviticus is God saying yes. Leviticus is God saying yes. I will make my home with you, and this is what life in my presence is going to look like. But you will be a people that dwell in my very presence. And can you imagine this? That all of a sudden, God is there among you. And you're living, and there's this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire, but His tent is among your tents. How different life is. It's a horrible analogy, but I was like, my parents didn't do this to me, but some of y'all's parents did, and some of you are doing it. It'd be like coming home and saying, Mom, Dad, I've got a date. And your dad's saying, good, when are we going? And I don't know if any of y'all, that happened to you, but some dads have done that, right? Where um, I'm coming along with you on your date. And how different the date goes if my father-in-law, <laughs> how different the date goes if dad is sitting right here with you, Right? Whoa, this is weird. He's with us in our presence. This is what's crazy. That's what happened to Israel. God set his tent in their midst and holiness was demanded. I'm in God's presence. His tent is among our tents, right? This is the, this is what I want you to feel is this is the awesome power of God and what it meant for him to dwell among us. Now I'm not going to get into this and occasionally I touch on this because it's important to me. I'm not going to get onto this whole how to draw God thing and Trinity and all of this weird stuff that we I don't understand. But I know that for a lot of people, they believe that there's this God in heaven and he has a son in heaven and he gives us the spirit, which is in the Pepperdine lectures. I liked an analogy they used. They said he's sort of like the weird uncle that we don't talk about. But if you invite him, things get crazy. 
kind of thing. No, there is only one God. And His Spirit amongst Israel, they didn't say when God poured out His Spirit on man and when God set His Spirit in the tabernacle, they didn't say, oh, here's God the tabernacle dweller and there's God in heaven. No, this is God has descended and has placed His Spirit among man and holiness. And I'm in the presence of God. Now, Paul takes this analogy and he talks about this tent and he says he's given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So I'm going to sit inside my tent. And first, this was my relationship with God. Jason, you're my, um, you're going to represent God here. So, um, yeah. So, no, you stay seated. You're over there because you're distant from me. And I would come to church and, and, and it's like going to church and all this thing. It's like I come and I get to be in God's presence. And I'm like, oh, man, it's the greatest compliment I've ever given you. And I get to sit and I'm wow, I'm with I'm with my God. You filled me up. Thank you, preacher, for speaking truth into my life. Man, the worship service was awesome. I'm filled, man. It's been good. I'm going to live a good week and then we're going to come back and talk. And then I come over here and I'm living my life. But I get to go in the presence of God and I come back from the presence of God. And I go in the presence of God and I come back in the presence of God. And God does something invasive in the New Testament. In fact, you can't get more invasive than this. This is what happens. Okay, now, Jason, you come up here. This is my body. Jason and I, I'm using him because we have shared a lot of tents together. I know what his feet smell like. I know what his breath smells like. Now, we know, okay? And you got to sh- come share my tent. We've been this close before. Yes, you squeeze in here. You're, you're exaggerating. Big guys like us. And he's in my tent with me. And this is my tabernacle. And it's not something where I can say, God, I'm coming before you in prayer. And then I'm, I'm leaving your presence. I'm coming before you and I'm leaving you. I can't leave you. You're here with me. You're inside of me. You dwell me. You indwell me. I can't escape the presence of God in my life. He has come and set his tabernacle amongst us. Nicole and Madeline were baptized. Oh man, celebrate with them real quick. Nicole and and Madeline were baptized this last uh, Sunday. And I meant to say it this morning. Um, Nicole's not here. Madeline, would you mind standing up? Man, some of y'all got to miss Madeline, but Madeline, you get to know her. She was baptized after services last week, so I'm celebrating with you, Madeline. You can sit down. This is what happened last week. When you were baptized into Christ, it says this. Don't you know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ have clothed ourselves with Christ? Don't you know that if you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death? Don't you understand what happened in baptism as I let God in the most sacred area of my life permanently? He's in my tent with me. Man, if it was sacred, if it was sacred in the Old Testament, when God set his tent among the children of Israel and said, here I am, now God has come inside my tent and I'm dwelling in his presence and I can't escape this. And the reason that's so important is because we have this idea of going to God in prayer and man, I loved class this morning because it it talked about my most sacred subject to me is prayer. And what it means to pray. And I've struggled, just like most of you have, with what prayer is and how to pray. 
And I know what it is to stand before the God of the universe and say, I don't even know what to say to you. I love you, but I don't even know how to talk to people half the time. I don't know how to talk to the God of the universe. I don't know how to present my requests to you. I don't even want requests before you, but I know you want me to. And having these awkward conversations with God. But I love him so much. But the whole thing is, every prayer, whether you pray for 21 days of silence, or you pray a day of fasting, or you pray before you go to bed, every prayer ends with, in Jesus' name, amen. And the thing is, that's not actually an option to say goodbye. You don't get to say, God, thanks for coming to visit with me. You can go now until my next religious time. My prayer is ongoing because he doesn't leave. He's here with me in the most intimate and most invasive way. That is what the Holy Spirit of God is. It's the presence of God that will not leave. All right, JC, I'll let you sit down. Uh, I'm, wow. Um, he said, so now you're letting God go. Uh, but that's the thing, man. That's, that's what he's doing in this text. He's saying... He's given us His Spirit, His very presence. Now think about what this means in prayer. And I'm going to challenge some of you, maybe do this. I shared this with a a good friend of mine this last week. And we sat down and, man, just on the edge of tears talking about what this meant to us. I said this, I, I tried this in my life. I said, I'm not going to say amen. I'm not going to say amen. I want you to go with me. And I'm going to think about you in every conversation I'm with, when I'm with my wife, whatever's happening, because I'm fooling myself to think I'm saying goodbye to God. He's right here during the movie I'm watching. He's right here with the song I'm listening to. He's right here when I'm struggling. He doesn't leave. And it says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing constantly lifting this life up before God. Now, I'm not, not steering you away from you, what you and I have both done. I love to go to a dark place, light a candle maybe, sit in silence, give time that is sacred to God, and I think that's important. But at the same time, I think it has actually touched my life even more to look at every conversation and everything I'm doing and just saying, my God, this is before you. Paul begins this letter and ends this letter, 2 Corinthians, with the concept of what I speak, I speak as from God, I speak as before God, and not before men. And I think about that sometimes, whether I'm sitting across coffee with somebody or if I'm standing up here, that God is right there, and I'm standing in his presence representing something incredibly sacred. It's incredibly sacred to him. And so this is where... Where Paul is going here, I'm going to kind of summarize the last few chapters. He said this, you were just a blank piece of paper. But when you were immersed into Christ and you made covenant with your God, he wrote, and now you are a letter to the world from God. You were just an empty jar of clay. You're here and then you're gone 
and you have no meaning, you have no purpose, you are temporal. And he has taken that and he's filled it with the precious oil of his spirit and he's lit it on fire and now you are a lamp burning for him before this world. You are a jar of clay representing him. And now he says, you were just a tent. Just something that was ordinary. Again, temporary. And he's made you a tabernacle. He's made you something by, through which he dwells by his spirit. He's invested you with meaning. He's invested you with life. He has given you depth and meaning and purpose. And so he says this. Um, I just wanted to, I wanted to close this illustration. This is looking through a tent. I wasn't sure if it would be clear up here. This is looking through a tent up at the sky at night and thinking about, uh, this is a scene that is super familiar to me. I know this too well. Laying there and thinking about how intimate that fellowship is that takes place inside of a tent. Daniel had to speak, spend the whole last week with me. He knows I talk in my sleep and say the dumbest things you ever heard in your life. And he was over there just egging me on. Just sharing a room with him. You, you learn so much about people. You're sharing this space. And the beautiful thing um, that I've experienced in my life and that I love about my God is this. That it used to be a space we fought for. Well, no. It still is a, a space we fight for. Just like you're in the tent. You're stealing the covers. You're egging people on. I'm the guy that takes up all the room. And God is gradually pushing us out of the picture and saying, Jeff, your body is now the tabernacle of my very spirit. I live within you. You are, n- you are not your own anymore. You've been bought with a price. And now you're going to glorify God with your body. Twice in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this in chapter 3 and chapter 6. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells you? There are, there are several Greek words for temple. Uh, the larger building that you think of as the temple is, is called the hieron. But he doesn't use that word here. He says, you are the naos. And, and it's, it's N-A-O-S, basically. It, says, it means this, the holy of holies. When it says you're the temple of God, it uses the specific word for the most holy place where the high priest went in there once a year and he says that is what you are this is where I dwell by my very presence Um, I'm just thinking about Carrie's class and I've got a lot more to just kind of process in my mind and some things I want to talk about next week but I was thinking about man what does this mean for us as a church what does this mean for me as a person but what does this mean for me as a church um, I shared an illustration in class that I, I, uh, I stole from um, Todd uh, Dildine this last week, but he stole it from somebody else, so I'm, I'm just going to take credit. Um, he had this picture of a house, and it was flooded. And he said, uh, what we're doing in our churches and on Facebook and social media is we're complaining about everything churches are doing wrong. And we're doing a lot wrong, right? But he says, it's like we're going around the house looking for the leak. And we're trying to find out what's wrong with the house. What do I need to fix? What pipe do I need to fix? How do I fix generation whatever? How do I fix this generation? How do I make these? How do I make this leak stop? 
And what I love that he did in the class was this. He made a point. He said he zoomed out and he showed that it wasn't the house that was flooded. It was the entire neighborhood that was flooded. It was Houston. And he said, he said, we're talking about what's going wrong in our churches, but his wife is heavily involved in politics. And he said, the same problem is in our country. The same problems in our politics. The same problems across the map. The flood is bigger than you are. And, and it's like we're trying to say, man, what do I need to do? Do I need to fix the way I do our worship order? What, what can we do? Is that going to help reach generation, whatever? And he said this, man, the problem is so much bigger than this. And there are things that you're going to encounter in your life and that we're going to encounter as a church that, man, I pray that we are flexible. And I pray that as God's people, we're ready to make changes or do whatever we need to do going forward. But I also pray this. Ooh, don't stop trusting God with the big things. Because there are things in our nation and things in us that are beyond us. And they take the power of God and the power of His Spirit to conquer. Israel was brought to the Red Sea. It was impossible. They were brought to Jericho. It was impossible. And God deliberately leads His people over and over again to impossible circumstances. When I don't care how much you strategize, you can't fix this. Right now, the problem with social media and the problem that we've lost our ability, especially in younger generations, to connect with one another or to connect with the world or to even be still and understand what it is to know that he is God. Man, I can't fix this. This is crazy. It's out of control. And you look at it and you say, God, is it over? Is the time for religion? Is the time for spirituality? Is the time for depth over? And what can I do as a preacher? What can we do as a church? Man, you do what you can, but there comes a point where you've got to just walk around Jericho and pray. And there comes a point where you've just got to stand at the sea and say, my God, I need you right now. Step in. And here's the thing, and I've got to close up because I have a whole lot more to say about this. But the Holy Spirit that indwells you is not the weird uncle in the family. It's not a high angel. It's not a lesser God. The Holy Spirit that indwells you is the very Spirit of God. The very Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. The very Spirit that parted the sea dwells inside of you. The exact spirit that manifests itself as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, this is the spirit that tents and tabernacles within us. And recognizing that and recognizing God's power in our life is crucial for the church today. And I pray that he blesses your life with that awareness. It's so much more difficult. And this is what uh, the preacher said to me this last week when we sat and prayed about this topic. He said, how do you sin? How do you sin in the middle of a prayer? How? I said, we do it all the time. I do it all the time. How do I, how do I think impure thoughts when I've got the candle lit and when I'm sitting here and I'm lifting up my heart to God? How do I think impure thoughts then? The thing is, the more and more we recognize God's presence the more power He gives us over sin. The more power He gives us in those areas because that is how you were intended to live. 
And I believe at least to a degree, that's also how you're intended to pray and recognize his ongoing tabernacle right here, right now. That is the Holy Spirit. My God, I, I want to come before you and, um, and I, I'm asking, um, uh, God, I don't want to cheapen that message. And I, I know um, that I had to have. And I, I ask God that, um, that we won't be a people that, um, that come to you in prayer occasionally. Um, I'm asking God that we would increase our prayer life, that it would be hours more than minutes. But, but beyond that, I pray, Father, that you would help us practice your presence right here, right now, all the time that we lift up our conversations and we lift up our parenting and we lift up who we are at work and everywhere, not as people who are away from you coming back to you. The way I come back home to my wife at the end of the day. But Father, that we would practice prayer as though we're living in your presence constantly and we lift up our lives as prayers to you. Um, I pray, Father, that you'd give us wisdom going forward. That God, that we would, we would honor you in this tabernacle and this would be a house of praise. And we would live as we were designed to live. Like David said this morning, that eternal life does not begin when I inherit my eternal home and my eternal building with you. But it begins now because you've invested so much worth and so much purpose into this very tent. And I just thank you, Father, for giving us purpose, for lighting our lamps, for writing letters on our paper, for turning our tents into tabernacles. And I I love you, God, for the gift of that message. It's in Christ we come before you and praise you for this life. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God together.